Wrestling with Theology is a weekly Bible study that seeks to equip you to wrestle with the theologies that surround us in our everyday life. Through these studies, your faith in Christ will be strengthened through the Scriptures and the Lutheran Confessions. Join Pastor Minton for these next few minutes as he helps you get ready to wrestle with theology. again for Wrestling with Theology. I am Pastor Doug Minton here in the confessional corner as we start the new format for our monthly roundtables on the podcast. Last month we finished up the Article 28 on Church and State from the Augsburg Confession. This month and next month we're going to look at what the papal theologians came up with for the confutation of the Augsburg Confession. And so with this, I'm going to start with the 28 articles that are there, each one of them answered. Eight of them, the papal theologians accept without a problem. Ten, they accept with qualifications, and we'll look at those this month. And ten of them, they outright reject as erroneous, heretical, and even diabolical. So, uh, we'll get to those next month. The ones they accept without a problem are Article 1 on God, Article 3 on the Son of God, Article 8 on what is the Church, Article 9 on Baptism, Article 16, which is temporal government, the predecessor to the one on church and state and the power of the bishops, that was Article 28. 17 on the return of Christ for judgment, 18 on free will, and 19 on the cause of sin. They take issue with some of the things in Article 2 on original sin. Article 5 on the office of the ministry. Article 6 on the new obedience. Article 7 on the church. Article 10 on the Lord's Supper. 11 for confession. 12 on repentance. 13 on the use of the sacraments. 14 on ecclesiastical order. 15 on ecclesiastical rights. So the ten of them there, a lot of them have to do with pointing out the things that the Lutherans have changed that the Roman Catholics don't want to let go of. And then that leaves Articles 4 and then 20 through 28 that the papal theologians reject and condemn completely, including justification, Article 4, good works, Article 20, Article 21 on the worship of the saints. And then 22 through 28 are the ones that had been pointed out by Melanchthon as serious abuses among the 
Roman Catholic Church, like communion in both kinds in Article 22, the marriage of priests in Article 23, 24 on the abuses of the Mass, 25 on the abuses in confession, 26 on the distinction of foods and monastic vows, 27, well, that was monastic vows, not, uh, were not combined in 26, but then uh, 28 on uh, the power of the bishops. So those 10 are outright rejected and condemned. We'll get to those next month. So let's look a little more in depth as to what they accept with some bit of qualification. Article 2 on original sin. What could there possibly be different between Roman Catholics and Lutherans on the doctrine of original sin? Well, they say... In this second article of their confession, we approve what is in agreement with the Catholic Church, that it maintains that inherited sin is truly sin, condemning and bringing to eternal death those who are not reborn through baptism in the Holy Spirit. They rightly condemn the Pelagians, new and old, a group declared to be heretical by the Church long ago. However, this article's declaration that original sin means that humanity is born without fear and trust in God is to be completely rejected. That's the first thing they point out is that, okay, yes, while it's great that you do still acknowledge that original sin is actually sin, people aren't actually born without the fear and trust in God. There is still that spark in there that just needs to be ignited by divine grace. Also rejected, the confutation continues, is their teaching that inherited or original sin is concupiscence if they mean that concupiscence is a sin that remains a sin in children after their baptism. But if they are speaking in the manner of St. Augustine's teaching and call the inherited sin concupiscence in the fact that it ceases to be sin in baptism, then this teaching can be accepted. What is the big deal in original sin? Is it destroyed in baptism? We looked at it in the last episode on common ground when we had baptism and talked about original sin being completely destroyed in baptism so that it no longer exists afterwards. Luther said, no, that is not the case. Original sin continues to be inside a human being until Jesus comes back to take us to be with him in heaven, until he restores us to that perfect humanity that Adam and Eve had before the fall into sin. Until then, we are plagued by original sin, and that's what causes our actual sins. And if you go back to the articles on Common Ground, where we talked about original sin and baptism in those places in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, uh, you will find those. I'll put links to those episodes in the episode description here, so that you can go back and see those readily. And when Melanchthon goes on in the Apology, which we'll get to in a couple of months, he really takes them to task over this. Over this whole idea of what is concupiscence in the Roman Catholic theology. Because they have a lot of vagary about this. And part of it, yeah, it could be original sin. Well, it definitely is original sin. Or it could be just that tender that just remains in us that causes us to want to sin. They talk both ways about that.
Articles 5 and 6 on the office of the ministry and the new obedience that responds to faith are accepted and are they are glad to see that the Lutherans still believe that the Holy Spirit is given through means, especially through like the rite of ordination and things like that, that causes still there to be a room for the hierarchy of the Catholic Church to be in the Lutheran Church. Also, they accept in Article 6 that we should bear fruit in good works because they quote James chapter 2, faith without works is dead. However, in both articles, they strongly condemn the sola fide, that all of this is done through faith alone. It's not faith alone, they say, it is faith with works. You cannot have faith by itself, they say. There has to be some form of work or love, which then leads to works involved with it. If you take it just faith alone, then it is not in keeping with the doctrine of the Catholic Church. And actually, of these first few articles, their confutation on Article 6 on the new obedience is one of their longest ones because they want to stress the fact that they need good works in order to be saved, to, or in order to prove that they have faith in the first place. And Melanchthon will later go on into Article 4 of the Apology, which was very short in the Augsburg Confession, but goes on to be the longest article in all of the Apology, because he has to take in account Articles 4, 5, and 6, because they want to wrap around justification in with good works, and having proved your justification by your good works, and so much to the point that your good works cause your justification. and the reformers were strongly against that. That justification is by faith alone. When we get to Article 7 on the Church, they say, The seventh article of their confession, which affirms that the Church is an assembly of saints, cannot pass without close examination. If by this they mean that wicked persons and sinners are to be separated from the Church. For the Council of Constance condemned this and other teachings of John Huss. It plainly contradicts the gospel. So here is the question. What does it mean when we talk about the church being the assembly of saints? Well, A, we talk about the invisible church, that the true one and only church on earth is invisible and cannot be seen with the eyes. It is all those who have faith in Jesus Christ. They reject the idea that wicked people are not separated from the church in this life. That the visible church has people who are blatantly hypocritical. That is one of the biggest problems with the church that people have, is that, well, you're so hypocritical. You want to talk about being holier than thou, and then you do all kinds of horrible stuff. Yeah, we're all sinners. Uh, John Huss was condemned at the Council of Constance in 1415. That was one of the first things that the Roman theologians and the Pope put out against Luther, is that he was just resurrecting John Huss's teachings. 
And Luther has some leanings with John Huss, but they diverge very greatly after a little while. In this life, the church will have evil people in it because that's what we see. We see sinners, and they're going to be hypocritical. They're going to fall, and they're going to falter, and they're going to be forgiven because that's what the church is here to do. The church is here to offer the forgiveness of sins for those who fall. The papal theologians wanted to say that the church is only the people who are saints. Those who really, when you boil it down to it, are those who have gone through purgatory and are in heaven with Jesus. That's where the true church is. What we have here is just the testing ground, the training ground, in order to get to that point. And maybe if we do good enough here, then we'll have less time in purgatory, so then we'll be closer to heaven when we die. Again, completely out of the scripture. And they say the idea that evil people are in the church in this life contradicts the gospel. Then they go on to then quote the scriptures that we would use to then say, yeah, the net being drawn in with good and bad fish. Yeah, that's the church. It'll be weeded out at the end, but while it's in the net, the fish are either good or bad, just like the church, until it is drawn up on the last day when Jesus comes back, there's good and bad in there. And we can't and shouldn't try to separate out and make like an elitist church because, well, that's exactly what the Roman church did in the Middle Ages by bringing out especially the religious life of the monks and the nuns as being better than the life of the lay people. But we'll get into that when we cover Article 7 and 8 in the Apology in, well, I would say a couple of years because we're going to be going through Apology 4 for quite some time. The next article they accept with qualification is Article 10 on the Lord's Supper. Everything is great as long as the Lutherans accept the doctrine of transubstantiation, that the bread and wine are changed into Jesus' body and blood, so that bread and wine no longer exist there, except for by appearance. And that will be talked about throughout Article 10 and 24 of the Apology. We move into Article 12, which the Roman theologians are happy to have on repentance. And they accept the possibility for everyone to be able to repent and that the church is there to give absolution. However, they reject and condemn the omission of and scorn for satisfactions from penance. They reject this idea that there are two parts to confession. First, that we confess our sins, and second, that we receive absolution. They want the third of canonical satisfactions. The things you have to do to make up for the sins that you confessed that the absolution doesn't quite cover. They also reject the idea of faith 
being the second part of penance. That faith in the words of Jesus that when the pastor says, by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the word, I announce the grace of God unto each of you, and in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. To the papal theologians, those are words that have a spark for faith, but that is to be carried out in the satisfactions that are to be done afterwards. It's not the actual words that you have faith in, but the works afterwards. So they totally deny faith being part of it. And if you read the Concordia Reader's Edition, you will see that repentance, Article 12 in the Apology, is actually split into two parts because they have to take care of the fact that we don't need satisfactions after absolution, and then this whole idea of love and what that is. And that makes what should be a simple article to write into a very convoluted one that is not quite as long as Article 4, but Article 12 is also quite long in the Apology. The Roman theologians accept the use of rites that promote peace and good order in the church in accordance with Article 15 of the Augsburg Confession, but they admonish that every rite ought to be done in Christian devotion, that everything basically needs to be done as a devotion to Christ. They reject the idea that human traditions cannot make satisfaction for sin because this has been the case they have built for a long time is that the things that the pope and the bishops have brought in to bring more opportunities for you to earn merit and earn your salvation in the church don't actually do anything because they were created by people and not instituted by God like the actual sacraments. But that gets explained further when they talk about, again, Article 28 and the power of the bishops in the first place. Article 16, they accept private absolution, but they require annual confession and admonition for self-examination. So again, it's great you allow, you Lutherans allow private absolution, but it's got to be done annually. We can't accept the idea that you can go for years and years or even an entire lifetime without going to private confession and absolution and still receive the Lord's Supper. But no, you, they are strong on their stance that every Christian needs to go to confession every year. And if it's been more than a year since your last confession, the priest is not allowed to allow you to receive communion. I wonder how many Lutherans would be at the rail on Sunday mornings if that were the case, if we had conceded on that point. I think there would be very few. One, there's stubborn Germans. It's like, oh no, I don't want to do this. And B, we're governed by the gospel, not the driving of the law to say, you have to do this. Because that just puts us under the slavery of the law once again.
I realized I skipped a couple of articles uh, through this as I was writing my notes. Uh, articles 13 and 14. 13 on the use of the sacraments. Great and wonderful as long as you have all seven sacraments and not just the two that we talk about normally. And we'll get into that in Article 13 of the Apology. Article 14, it's great that no one should be able to preach and teach in the church unless they have been called and ordained. That's great. But the Roman theologians say you have to still have apostolic succession. Your pastor needs to be ordained by somebody who can trace their ordination lineage back to the apostles in an unbroken chain. That is a superstition that crept into the church that needed to be taken away. And that was one of the early things that Luther was admonished about because he didn't require that. Also in Article 14, they require ecclesiastical oversight. Parish priests cannot just run rampant and do whatever they want, like we see in non-denominational churches today. The Roman theologians were really worried that that was what was going to happen with Luther's Reformation, is that instead of one church, we're going to have thousands of churches, and everybody's saying that they're the true church. And they didn't wanted nothing to do with that, especially if you look at the Heidelberg Disputation between Luther and Eck. That was one of Eck's major points, is that if everyone is allowed to interpret the Bible, we'll have thousands of churches, and nobody will know which one is the true church. But if we keep the hierarchy, and we keep the Pope at the top, everybody knows that if you're not following the Pope, you're not in the true church. That's what they want in Article 14. Like I said, they're very thankful that we have ordination, that we have the training for the pastors, but they still want their certain things in there and they'll be accepting of it. Those are the articles where the Roman theologians are accepting with qualifications for the Augsburg Confession. Next month we'll get into the great lineage of all the articles that they say, nope, sorry, can't accept that. That is absolutely wrong and of the devil. And in a couple of the articles, they do actually use those words of being devilish thoughts and teachings because they want to make the Lutheran princes submit to their rule. And of course, they do that by bringing out the only guns they have is the law, and this is what you have to do. But those who have been set free by the gospel realize that they are no longer under law, as Paul tells us in Romans, but that we are under grace. We are under the gospel of Jesus Christ that sets us free from our sins, sets us free from the law. Not to act in a chaotic fashion with no rules, but to live and rejoice in Him. And we'll get more into that next month, but until then, this is Pastor Doug Minton wishing you God's richest blessing as you wrestle with theology this week. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions or comments about what you have heard on Wrestling With Theology, send an email to wrestlingwiththeology at gmail.com. 
If you have enjoyed this podcast, make sure you have subscribed so it will show up automatically on your podcast app. Please also share the podcast so that more may be equipped for Wrestle with Theology.